name's Paul and I'm the pastor here and we've been working on a series called uh, Thankfulness. Uh, it's a year of thankfulness leading to a life of thankfulness and we've been working through the book of Ephesians in the last couple of weeks. And we're up to uh, Ephesians chapter 2 verses 11 through to 22 today. And when I was uh, thinking this through and uh, contemplating what this was about and thinking about how can we think about it from where we sit here in uh, 2014... I was really challenged from it uh, in the concept of alienation and what that means and what that looks like for you and I here and now. And as I was thinking about that and as I was uh, just doing some looking on different things and so forth, I came across a song by Pink. Uh, it's got an interesting title. I'll just tell you the second half of the title. It's called Perfect. Uh, and we're actually going to watch it. It's a clip that actually has a bit of edge to it. Okay, But as you watch it, I think it does speak into our world and even into our lives. And even though we may not agree with uh, her concept of how it works out, I think actually it speaks to us about how God works with us as well. I'm going to see how that relates into Ephesians chapter 2 in just a moment. Uh, As I watched it and I was thinking about it, I did pray a lot about whether I should show it. Uh, But I think it's worth showing. Uh, It does have an edge to it. It's probably got a PG to M rating. Uh, in one aspect of it, but I think it's real. And I think it's worth us thinking about it this morning and contemplating what she says through the song, uh, but then seeing how God speaks into it as well from Ephesians chapter 2. So we're going to watch the clip and then I'm going to talk about the Bible. Oh, sorry, I mucked them up. There we go. Did I turn that on rather than (laughs) off? Dug my way out, blood and fire Bad decisions, that's alright Welcome to my silly life Mistreated, this place
but he's given us others around us, hasn't he? That we can be thankful for God for the people that he's placed around us. That's the second part of Ephesians chapter 1. We are not alone. And then chapter 2 of Ephesians chapter 2 says, says that we were something, but now we're what? Once dead. Once dead, now we're alive. How good is that? When you want to change that self-talk in your head about what you're on about and who you are, start reading the Bible. Come back and see what God says about you. And now Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22 continues that. It says not only have we been restored to God, it's going to continue with that, but it also says that we've been restored to each other. So Deb's going to come up and she's going to read from us Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. And we're going to see what God has to say to us this morning. And I pray that as we do that, that we'll open to see how God has brought us in. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 22. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done in the body by the hands of men, remember at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away have been brought near through the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For th- through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Did it jump to the next slide, did it? I missed that bit. How about we pray? Heavenly Father, we do thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you that your word speaks into our hearts and into our souls. It's like a double-edged sword, Lord, that strikes to the core of us. Uh, Heavenly Father, we pray this morning that as we read your word, as we think about it, as we contemplate it, that, Lord, you will touch us, you will speak to us, that we will be changed and transformed by you. We pray your spirit does a mighty work in our lives, in our hearts, in our souls this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was saying a little bit before, that uh, in Pink Song, it talks about changing the 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 voices in your head, change them round. Well, you notice what uh, Paul says in the very first thing. He says, remember, uh, in verse 11 there. And if you go down to verse 12, he says, remember again. What he's actually saying to us is he actually wants us to remember what happened before. He wants to do that and then he comes to a buddy, but he wants to change what happened in the past to speak about what God is doing now. So in one sense, he does want us to change our talk, our self-talk in our head. And by saying remember, he wants to change our action. He wants to say, this is what you were, but now this is what you are. And this is where Hawthorne comes into it. Uh, you think, how does that work? <laughs> I can try anything to try and bring the Hawthorne into anything, can't I? 
Uh, those of you who know Hawthorne uh, have uh, been a team in the AFL, my favourite team. They are my team. And they have had a long-running battle with Geelong uh, for a long time, another team, and they were finding it really, really hard to beat them. Uh, but what uh, the coach did, Alex, Alex, Alex Alistair Clarkson did for them, was he brought them into a room before the grand final in 2008, not this last one, but the one before, and what he wanted to do was to try and break that hoodoo. So what he did was he did one thing, he, said, he, he took them back and he showed them some photos of what happened in the last time they played Geelong, but then what he did was he wanted to move them forward with that as well. So he wanted to say, remember, but this is what we want to do now. Remember is to motivate us to do something new. Now, he's quite a, an amazing speaker. If you read some of the stuff he does, he does some really good stuff. He didn't do that. He did this. Uh, he put up on the screen for them, on the front, a white pointer shark. And so he told them the story that white pointer sharks, they actually have to keep moving. If they don't keep moving, they die. If they don't have things working through their gills, then they stop and they can't move and they die. And he says, we have to kill Geelong like a shark. We've got to stop it moving. Shut it down, completely not allow it from going anywhere, and then we will win. What happened in 2008 grand final? Hawthorne won. But what the thing was, that he was saying, Alistair Clarkson was going to be saying, he was going to remember what happened, but this is what we're going to do now. And so that's what Paul does here in this passage. He says, remember what you were, remember Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1 to 10. You were dead but now you're alive in Christ and now live because God's got good things for you to do. He's already put, planned for you. And now he says, remember that. But he also says, remember what you were so that you can know what you are. Remember what you were before so you can live for who you are now. And so he goes on, he says, remember what you were. He says you were alienated. You were separate from Christ. You were separate from the benefits of what God had in you. Alienation is a big thing, isn't it? Uh, that picture is just that sense of being curled up and feeling like there is nothing good in you, that you've been shunted, that you've been put out, that you're no longer part of it. And that alienation was a sense of what we were before we knew God. We were shut out from him. And even to the point that the people who thought they were part of God's family, the Jews, used to call them names. Uh, Paul says that you were called the uncircumcised. That's what people do, don't they? When they want to make other people feel little or small. They start calling them names, don't they? Four eyes, big ears, dork, jock. We use names, don't we, to try and put people down, to put people in places, to alienate them. And since that was happening, that was what it was like for people who didn't know God at that point in time. For the Gentiles, they were alienated. They were set apart from God. They weren't part of all the benefits that God had for them. They weren't part of Israel. They weren't part of the land. They weren't going to have all these things. When it says there in verse 12, remember that at the time you were separate from Christ, excluded from the citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. It's a pretty dark picture, isn't it? It's not a nice picture. It's a picture of being completely having no access to God, that we have denied access to him that we can't get there, that we're not there, that we're shut out from God's presence, which is a horrible situation. But it doesn't say that. He says, remember that. This is what you were, but this is not what you are now. Look at what he says in the very next verse. He says, uh, that's also saying that he's separated from people, wasn't he? But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away 
have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. Whenever you see in the Bible the word but, it's always in a big contrast, isn't it? It's saying this is something you were, but now this is what you have in Jesus. You're separate, you're denied access. Even in community, community was broken, but now in Jesus you've been brought near. You're actually in God's family. He's going to speak more about that now. All because of Jesus' death on the cross. We have been brought near. Who remembers Grover? Uh, click, go on YouTube, click up and go Grover near and far. Fantastic clip. I didn't have time to play it for you today. But it's a fantastic clip. You watch him and he's doing the whole thing between near and far. And he comes up to close to the camera and goes near and then he runs back. Far. Near. Oh, it does it all the way back and forth. And it's a great picture, isn't it? If this is what you were, but this is what you are now. You're actually being brought near to God. Not only are you brought near, you're going to find out that you're actually incorporated into his family. It's a great picture, isn't it? You were a long way off, but now brought near. All because of the blood of Jesus. You now have access to God. If you look at verse 14, it says, We now, both Jew and Gentile, because he's going to show that we're both one in a minute, but now both you Jew and Gentile have access to God. You're actually in the presence. You can have him 24-7 all because of Jesus. Once you were far away, but now you're near. You have direct access. You can have communication with God now forever. You don't need to be alienated anymore. You don't need to be way in a corner anymore. You have actually got God there. You have access to him, complete access to him through Jesus. How good is that? When you want to change the self-talk in your head, start thinking that. That's what Paul wants us to do. He wants to come back and read this and see what God is saying about you. Not just what Pink is saying about you, but what God is saying about you. In Jesus, you have been brought near. In Jesus, you have complete access to God. In Jesus, you are part of his family. If you have Jesus, you have access to to God. That's a huge cause, isn't it? The creator, the maker, who's made everything, who's in control of everything, you have access to that person. You can come straight to him. You don't have to go through anyone else. You come straight to him. You don't have to do anything particularly religious. You don't have to go and walk up and down steps. You don't have to do a pilgrimage to go somewhere. You have access to him now in Jesus. You don't have to be in a church building. You can be at home. You can be down the beach. You can be out the front. You can be anywhere. Whoa! You can be anywhere and have access to God all because of Jesus. You see, in Jesus' death on the cross, as his arms open wide, it's God embracing you. In Jesus, you have been embraced by God. No longer are you alone. Just as Josie or Miller's about to experience the arms of uh, Holly. He's feeling alienated, isn't he? He's feeling out of it. And then Holly picks up and gives him a cuddle. And he feels loved, maybe. Uh, I think there's someone else crying. But that's that sense, isn't it? That's what he's saying. If you read through this, it says, By the cross, by Jesus' death on the cross, 
We have been embraced by God. We've been brought into his family. We are with him. No longer are you useless. No longer are you worthless. No longer are you hopeless. No longer do you have a home. No longer do you have an eternity. You have all those things in Jesus. Now. You have access to him now. It's not just all about pie in the sky in the future. It's now, he says. This is your position now. That's good talk, isn't it? When we're sitting in a corner of the room thinking, why on earth, what's going on, feeling like the world is against us, then we come back and we read this and we see what God says about us because in the end, what God says about us is what counts most. But not only have we been brought into God's family and access to him, but we've actually been brought peace amongst each other. It says there in verse 14, For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility between us. What Paul's talking about specifically is the uh, the hostility between uh, Jew and Gentile. Jews are those who are people of the nation of Israel, who believe in Yahweh, the one God. Gentiles are anyone else who doesn't have that. So I reckon 99% of us here today are Gentile, I would imagine. But back then, that actual division between the two was palpable. It was Literally, you could actually feel that tension. And it was demonstrated most specifically by the wall and the temple. If you went into the temple in Jerusalem, uh, the Jews could go into certain parts of it and they could get in and almost have access. They couldn't get into the Holy of the Holy, only the high priest. But if you're a Gentile, you had to be in the outer court. And in the outer court, there was a big wall, literally a wall, and it had a sign on it that said that if you are a, a Gentile, you are not allowed to pass this. If you go past this, you will die. It wasn't just trespassers will be prosecuted, it was trespassers will die. If you read stuff about how that anonymity between them, uh, they basically believed if you were a, a, if you were a Jew, you basically would not even touch a Gentile. Uh, if a Gentile woman was giving birth and she was having problems with it and you were there and you were a Jew, you weren't to go near them and help them because you were bringing into the world another dog. It was hatred. Palpable hatred. We talk about the New South Wales Queensland hatred. It's nothing. You talk about Hobart, Launceston hatred. It's nothing compared to that. But in Jesus, he says, he breaks down that wall. He destroys that wall. And he says, no longer are there two, but we are now one. No longer is there Jew, Gentile. That's not even terminology anymore. He smashes it. He destroys it. We are now one together. One body, he says. Not a whole lot of bodies. We are one body in Jesus. We should not ever be talking about the sense that there is a difference between us When we're in Jesus, we are one. No Jew, no Gentile, one. Believers and followers of Jesus. That is it. And we can think about that too, can't we? We take that down this track further in regards to how we relate to people around us as well, can't we? Uh, There's no sense anymore that uh, just because we're Anglo-Saxon, white and Scottish heritage that we're any better than anyone else. There's not that. There's not a sense of being Dutch. There's not a sense of being Tasmanian. There's not a sense of being New South Wales. There's not a sense of being followers of uh, Queensland or followers of New South Wales. There's not a sense of being Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander. We are one 
in Jesus. Amen. But do we live it that way? Do we live that way, really? It's a challenge, isn't it? Because what this is saying to us in Jesus, there is no room for superiority. There is no space for any of us to think that just because the colour of our skin, the place that we live, the job that we have, the position that we hold, that we are superior to anyone. We are all one in Jesus. That's a challenge, isn't it? Because I reckon that we are all sometimes very arrogant. I think at some point in times we think that we're better than such and such. We're better than the person over here. And it's subtle. Have a think about the jokes that you use. Have a think about the people who are your closest friends. Have a think about the way that you just speak about people who are different to you. It's a challenge, isn't it? There is no division. We are one in Jesus. We are not to treat anyone any less than anyone else or any better than anyone else. Everybody is equal in Jesus. That means when we're people of God, when we're the church here, how do we treat those who are a little bit different to us? How do we treat someone who comes in here and maybe doesn't smell quite the same as us? How do we treat someone who's got a slightly different skin colour to us, a different language to us? Someone who comes from a different town to us or a different part of town to us or a different area than us. I pray that they will be brought in and loved and embraced by God because that's what he does in Jesus, doesn't he? It's a challenge for us, I think, that we need to always be thinking about how do we do that, how do we treat one another within that? Because we are one in Jesus. Not only are we one in Jesus, we've been made into a new community in him. Uh, remember the with division. There's no division anymore. We are now one together. We've now been brought together. There's no cracks down the middle. We are actually one together in Jesus. We've been brought together in him. Uh, what do you say when you come to church on Sunday? Are you thinking, oh, I'm going to church today. What am I going to get out of it today? That's not the question, is it, really? As I say, when we come to church, say, what can I give today? What can, how can I encourage someone? How can I contribute to? How can I be part of this whole gathering together? What together can we come out of this? And so we, the I should be taken out and the we should be placed more and more. That's why some people for a little while ago, when those I songs, when they become really popular, they change them to we all the way through. I think there's the element that we can still sing the I here and there. Uh, but really, when we're together, it's we, isn't it? We've been brought into one community together to live that out together. And we're going to see in Ephesians as you go through that God is most demonstrated and most glorified in us when we're glorifying him. So really we're going to think about that a lot more and a bit longer because sometimes we think it's when we see the sunset God is most glorified. But when we see Ephesians, it's actually us. We're going to be challenged about that a little bit later. But, look what it says here, because we've been brought into a new community, so consequently you are no longer foreigners, strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets and Christ Jesus himself 
as a chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We were once alienated from God. We are now brought near in God. We've been incorporated into his body and now we're being built up into his temple, his place where he is glorified. You know, the temple was a symbol of where God was, where he was seen clearly. No longer is there a building that does that, by the way. No matter how nice your building looks, that is not where God dwells. God dwells amongst us, his people. We're the ones that are supposed to look good for him. Not particularly our dress, by the way. It's our character, isn't it? But we are the ones. It's us now. We've been brought in. And Jesus is the cornerstone, isn't it? You read that verse, it says it's a cornerstone. Jesus is a cornerstone built on the, built on the apostles and the prophets, built on, on the Bible, basically. The apostles and prophets, the New and the Old Testament, built together and built up into this building. You see... We are nothing unless Jesus is the cornerstone of what we do. As soon as we remove him from it, the whole thing tumbles. Jesus has got to be our focus. Jesus has got to be where we're at because Jesus is the one that brings us in. Jesus is the one that makes it possible to be in relationship with God forever. Jesus is the one that embraces us and brings us into that family that we're no longer alienated because of him, because he's life, death and resurrection. And he is the one who teaches us how to live that out. And he does that through his apostles, through his prophets, as we read the Bible, as we see what God says to us through that. And he builds us up into his people. You and I. That's us. That's our photo from a few weeks ago. Uh, now, what was the first thing you looked for? Yourself. Ah, see? See how it happens? See how quickly it goes? And suddenly we see the picture of all of us and we look for, where am I? Whereas what we should be saying is, I don't care where I am particularly, we are there. It's us together. This is what God is building. This is the, the temple that he's building. Since this is us that he's building up where he dwells with us and within us by his spirit, he says. And so we're to live it. We're to live that out. We're to show that, that we here together are God's people who bring people in, who love people, who show people Jesus, who encourage people to change that self-talk over to what God says about them. That song by Pink, it's powerful, isn't it? Uh, The video clip is very, very uh, confronting, I think. It was for me. But I think it speaks to all of us, doesn't it? Now, you may not have cut yourself, or you may have done. You may not have found yourself weeping in a corner, but you may have done. I think every one of us, at different times in our lives, have felt alienated, have felt on the edge, have felt different to others, have felt shunned by others. But Paul says to us, hear what God says about you. Hear what God has done for you in Jesus. Hear that you are no longer alienated in him. You have been embraced by him. You have been brought in by him. You have been saved by him. You now have hope 
You now have eternity. You now have a home. You now have a family. No longer do you need to feel alienated because God has embraced you through his son Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just take a moment to think that through. We take a moment to allow your word to speak into our hearts. And pray your spirit will do a work within us, Lord. We ask for forgiveness whenever we've felt that we're superior to anyone else, Lord. We ask for forgiveness whenever we've shown that in a way that we've spoken or we've acted. We ask for forgiveness, Lord, as a body, as your people here, that we've ever shunned or we've ever sent away or we've ever turned away anybody, Lord, because they felt that we were better or that we were too good or that we are in some way superior to them. Forgive us, Lord, for that. Change our hearts, Lord. Change our, our actions. Change our character, Lord, to re- represent you better as a God who brings everyone and makes us one in Jesus. Lord, we pray that you may speak into our hearts this morning. If we're feeling alienated, if we're feeling uh, down, if we're feeling like there's nothing going on around us, if we're feeling like uh, that we just are a failure and keep making mistakes, Lord, I pray, Lord, that your word will speak into our hearts this morning. And, Lord, we may know the peace that you bring into our lives the peace that we are with you through Jesus, that we're never alone, that we have access to you, that, Lord, that we, when we trust in Jesus, are in Jesus and that you look at us, Lord, and you see us as perfect through him. Lord, may that be the talk that we have in our head. May we have your word penetrating and soaking into our lives, into our hearts, into our souls so that we may live lives that reflect you, Lord, and how good, gracious, generous a God you are, Lord. We pray this in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen.